Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Well, let's say a prayer together. Father, we thank you. Um, we just thank you for how good you are. Lord, we just give you this day. We give you this time. And Lord, we just know that you want to do with it more than we could ever even imagine. And so, God, we, we ask that, Lord, you would open our hearts to what it is you have to say to us. We pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Well, David, why don't you join me up here for just a minute? Uh, that, was, that was awesome, wasn't it? Yeah. Take, it takes me back to uh, takes me back to when I was a kid going to church. You know, and they, they'd always have that hymn right when they did the offering. We just didn't pass the baskets today. Uh, doesn't mean you don't need to give, though. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. Well, David, happy Father's Day. Thank you. Happy Father's Day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You on? Let me make sure you're on. Yeah, you should be on. You on? Happy Talk. Father's Day. There you are. Amen. All right. Well, uh, I asked David to actually join me up here today because we're starting this new series called The Art of Living. And uh, to do that, I want to begin with a passage of Scripture, and then I'm going to have you share a little bit. Um, But it just comes from this, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8, which we just actually saw in the video. But it said, you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. Everyone say, we are the clay. You are the potter. Say, you are the potter. And we are all the work of your hand. And so... David, here's where you come in. Now, David is not only a musician and an artist in that way, but he's an artist in in this way as well. He created this piece of pottery, and he has created other pieces of pottery that are out in the lobby, and they're really quite amazing, David. Amazing job. By the way, the the stuff in the the lobby, so good, so good. But um, um, why don't you just help us? I think you have a unique perspective as a guy who's done pottery, like to look at Isaiah 64 and to maybe even speak from this understanding of what it means to be a potter. And so can you begin to help us understand this relationship between not only the creator and creation, potter, clay, all that kind of stuff, but when you read that scripture, like what just stands out to you? What is, how does it speak to your heart? There's, there's several things. First of all, my hands are all over this. Basically from the time I start kneading the clay to the time that I start shaping it and pressing it into a, into a, into a, a centered lump on the, on the wheel, to the time that I raise the pot up and form the, form the curves, to the time that I put it in the kiln the first time and the second time, put glaze on it, fire it the way that I fire it, my hands are all over it. Hmm. Even if I try to make another pot just like this, and it might look very, very similar, but at the same time, there's still some things that are very unique about that, each individual pot. Mm-hmm. The kind of pottery that I make is called raku pottery. It's an ancient Japanese firing technique, and I, it's, it's modified a little bit, but mm. that also speaks a little bit about the way the pot's made and, and has some application and some metaphorical applications for us as far as spiritually. With raku pottery, the way that you make that pottery is not multiple pieces at a time. It's one piece at a time. Mm-hmm. And when you fire it the first time, it, it becomes hard like chalk, but then you apply the glaze to it. And the actual clay itself body, the clay body itself is a little bit different because you put something in the clay called grog, which is a particulate matter that causes the, the clay when it, when it heats up to expand and cause what I call breathing spaces. There's, mm-hmm. there's places for air to move in and out. 
And so the way the pottery is, is made after the glaze is applied the second after the first firing, it's fired at about 1,800 degrees uh, very, very quickly, raised up to 1,800 degrees in about 30 minutes' time. And as, as that hits that stage where the glaze looks about right when you look through the peephole in the kiln, I turn off the gas, turn off the flame, take the kiln off, and while the pot's glowing red hot, grab it with tongs and put it in a trash can filled with newspaper. By the way, Wall Street Journal newspaper. <laughs> of course. It really does make a difference. It makes quite it frankly. more sophisticated. It's exactly. more sophisticated. But I take the piece and put it in a trash can lined with newspaper, and of course it catches fire immediately. And as it does, I take the lid of the trash can and smother it. Mm. And it starts starving for fuel. And so that, smoke, that, fire that flame becomes smoke, and because that pottery is starving for fuel, it draws in the smoke into the surface of the, of the clay with the glaze that's still in a molten form. And there is a reaction between the glaze and the smoke mm -hmm. and the clay. Mm -hmm. And once the, pot, the, once the pot is cooled off, I take the lid off and pull the piece out. And it's like, I say it's like Christmas every time you pull it open because every piece, no matter if it's the same glaze kind of content, if it's the same firing, every piece comes out a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. And I think for us, as far as this context, there's some things to understand is that this piece goes through a lot of stress. It's, it gets pushed to the limit. But it's also got some stuff in there that's caused it to expand and to be able to breathe. Mm. A lot of times in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is, is referred to in the form of fire or smoke or cloud in the Old Testament. And so there's a lot of that going on. And I think for us, the application is, is that what God wants to do is for us to breathe in his Holy Spirit because that's, the Holy Spirit is actually the breath of God. And that's really the application is that God, God desires to put us through some things in life that cause us to be ready and almost desperate like this pot is desperate for fuel when it's on fire, to be yeah. desperate to breathe. I love that. So good, man. Um, I just love that thought that this pot was desperate for to be able to breathe and that we can breathe in the breath of God. Well, here's what I'd love for us to do today is just for you to pray over us as sort of this idea that we're clay and that we have a creator that wants to get his hands all over us. I like how you said that. And would you just pray that over us as I, uh, as, and then we'll get into the rest of the message. But go sure. for it. Let's pray. Father, we are the work of your hands. Your handprints are all over us. Whether we acknowledge it or not, we are created in your image designed to be on intimate terms with you, which is why you put your handprint on us. So I pray, Father, that today we would be desperate to breathe in your Holy Spirit and to come away new and different, more and more the beautiful creations you've made us to be, yeah. to be like Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, David. You can take your pot. I, don't wanna, I definitely don't want to be responsible for this. <laughs> I might start preaching and then, whoo, he'd have to get back in the fire. Give it up for David.
That was so cool. Well, uh, look at the person next to you and say the art of living. That statement alone is an invitation. It's an invitation to a way of life. It's an invitation to understand that there is an art to living well. Wouldn't you agree? That, that there's a way that God has created for us to live. And, and, and it's one that's more fulfilling. And it's one that he's inviting us into. And, and, you know, we talk, if you've come to our church for any amount of time, we talk a lot about life around here. Because let's be honest, what else should we talk about, right? We should talk about life. Because God is the creator of life. You and I, we are the livers of life, and we can't forget that the enemy is the taker of life. And we have to just remember this about life, that God is the giver, we are the livers, and there is a taker of life. And, and, and as I get into this idea of the art of living, we're going to be talking a lot about life. And I just want to give you a bit of encouragement, a bit of vision for you over these next seven weeks as we're in this series is... Um, we're obviously going to be talking not only about life, but the stories from the scripture that, that really kind of bring these truths um, alive for us. But we feel like this is actually the perfect series for you to maybe consider inviting a friend to. And what I mean by that is uh, maybe just start praying, like, God, who's someone I can invite? Because for a lot of people, you know, we're, we've come out of a, a hard year. A lot of people that maybe used to come to church are no longer here. Maybe that's who you should invite. Maybe it's a, a neighbor or a family member or a friend. And, and why I'm even saying this right now is we're just believing that as we talk about life, as we do uh, creative things like in our lobby that are just that connect with the human, which, by the way, I know I mentioned it already, but I do want to give a shout out to all of our artists. Would you just give them a hand? Because I love what's out there in the lobby right now to have an art show. It's so cool, and we're celebrating the God-given talents that, that God gives us as people and in a unique way to not only worship, but to connect as people. And so that's why we say, man, this is the perfect thing to bring someone to. And so I just want to encourage you to do that. It's kind of a sidebar, but I want to get back to sort of where David was kind of leading us uh, as we opened up. But Isaiah 64, 8, right? It says, we are the clay, you are the potter, we are the work of your hand. And that really does demonstrate and illustrate kind of the, where we're starting this whole series. Today's message is titled, It Begins as Clay. And, and, and when we say part one of this is it begins as clay, is we really do know that in the scripture where, it, where life begins for you and I is as clay. Life begins in God's loving hands. His hands are all over us. Life starts when we allow to... Starts when we allow him to mold us, to shape us. Life begins, it continues, and it's sustained and is fulfilled as we remain clay and being shaped by our as our Creator sees best. So I want to talk about this relationship with our Creator. You know, we have a Creator and we have creation. Throughout this series, I'm going to refer to this as a Creator and His creatives. That's speaking of us. The creator and his creatives, because I believe that every one of us has been created for a special purpose, a special work. And so some of you probably feel like, yeah, I am creative. I have artistic ability. But some of you don't feel like you have a creative bone in your body. You know what I'm talking about? Can I get a witness? You're like, yeah, this is so cool. We're talking about creativity and I'm not creative. But here's what I want to say is that I believe there, creativity exists in all forms. The idea is that we're creating life, right, in life, that God's called us as his creatives to create life. So whether you're, you're you know, an organizational genius or you're a hard worker or you're a really funny person or you make a mean jambalaya, whatever it is, right? <laughs> like these are creative things that do create life. Are you with me? Yeah. 
And so this whole discussion, it does begin as clay. So I just want you to look at the person next to you one more time. I'm going to make you talk to them again and just say, be the clay. Be the clay. Say it one more time. Be the clay. How many of you know that it is not always easy to be the clay? Most of us prefer the role of potter in our life. I don't know about you, but I like the idea of being clay way more than I like the idea of, uh, or, or the reality of it, right? Sometimes I want to be made, if I'm going to be made anything, I, I picture like I want to be made into some glorious teapot, but life can feel like I've been made into an ashtray, right? <laughs> you want to control life, I get it. Like, here's the thing. I know some of us probably, we might not feel like life is an ashtray, but we, we, whenever we get into it, we might not feel all that special until it brings up a really interesting question if we're going to see God as the potter and we as the clay, is we start to ask God, like, God, if you made me so special, why don't I feel that way? What's the work you're really doing? And so we start to get really, really deep about, you know, how has God created us? Who has he created us to be? And, and, and my sense of value, my sense of significance, my sense of meaning. And to help with that, I, I want to talk for a few minutes um, about a couple different theologies. And the first one is this idea of called pottery wheel theology. And by the way, I made this up. <laughs> there's, there's not a class that, at seminary about pottery wheel theology, but for, for a few minutes, we're going to make it a thing today, okay? Um, when I say pottery wheel theology, I'm referring to our understanding of who our creator is. And you see, our creator isn't like sometimes the world portrays him as some scientific, intelligent, design, distant creator, right? That, that God creates and then he, he doesn't interact. But a pottery real theology is an understanding of a creator that is intimately involved in who you are. It's one that truly is shaping and molding in you, molding you. And so it's un, it's, it begins with this understanding. Because by the way, theology just simply means understanding God. You know, theo means God, ology means understanding. So it is a theology of our creator in this fashioning of him taking us as clay and shaping us as he chooses. See, he's the artist, which means, guess what? You and me are the art. That you're his art, you're his masterpiece. We are the art that brings beauty, intrigue. Ex you know, we express and we bring complexity to the world, right? Anybody know someone who brings complexity to the world? Amen. Anyone know who, someone who brings beauty to the world, right? How many know that the value of the art is connected to its creator? Don't you know that there's a difference in the value between, let's just say, a painting by the great Leonardo da Vinci and a painting by, say, yours truly, right? <laughs> like, literally, I would imagine Leonardo da Vinci does one brushstroke on a piece of paper. It's worth more than my house, which is sad and a little bit depressing, but it's true. My point is if God is the artist and you are the art and art is valued based upon the artist, your value is found in who made you, right? Your value and your worth is found not in how you compare to others, it's not about being better than or winning the comparison game. Your value is not found in what they think about you or what they said about you or what Heath says about you. Psalm 139 says that God formed you from the inside out, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
And these are all truths that so many of us know, but I think for a lot of, a lot of us, we have to come to grips with just the simplicity of that we have a creator that has his hands all over us, that formed us, that cares about us, that is doing something special with us. Pottery Wheel Theology believes that God created and formed you with intention and love. Let me share another made-up theology, meaning I just made it up, although all of this is theologically sound. Just so you know. I made up theologies, but this is, this is all right. Um, hamster wheel theology is my other one. So we got pottery wheel theology and hamster wheel theology. Look at your neighbor and say hamster. I can get you to say anything. Okay, so as an act of confession, who has ever had one of these living in your house as a pet? I don't really understand why we do this. I had two hamsters as a kid. I don't really understand why. Uh, we don't, we're not in on the whole mice thing in our house, but we're okay with, you know, hamsters as a worthy pet. So if your favorite pet is a hamster, no offense, but uh, maybe you name them fangs. I don't know what you do, but, but listen, here's the deal. Hamster wheel theology under my made-up definition today is this. It's an understanding of a God. Because remember, theology is an understanding of God. It's an understanding of God and our relationship with God is sort of like jumping on this hamster wheel, right? We start going and journeying, believing the faster we go, that the greater probability that we will get where we want to get. And so what happens is we go to church, we learn what it means to follow God, we learn all these things. And, and some of you are going to really relate with this. So we'll lock in right here. You relate with what it means to, to follow God. And so you start trying, you start running hard, you start striving more and more and believing the longer and the harder you run, the better life will be. So we run harder and we try and outpace people around us so we can compare and feel better about ourselves through our efforts, and this is not only in our faith, but in our life. And although sometimes we get the satisfaction of a good workout, like that felt really good for me, we eventually get tired and we get exhausted. And we are working and striving, but we aren't being fill up, filled up by God's presence like we thought it would do. So in one scenario, God, AKA the potter, is in control of the wheel. And in the other scenario, we are in control of the wheel. This is where we should be singing Jesus Take the Wheel, right? But eventually the hamster wheel theology, people just f end up feeling burned out in life. And I don't know about you, but how many times have you either personally experienced, no one likes the feeling of burnout, by the way, but how many times have you personally feel, experienced someone you know, like they're running hard, especially if they're running hard for God, and then all of a sudden they, they just collapse. And, you know, here's the thing. I've always said burnout is actually impossible if you're living right. That I say burnout is a myth. Burnout is actually something that it isn't a myth in the sense that it doesn't happen, but it's a myth in, inside of God's kingdom because God did not create you to burn out. So the idea that I'm running hard and I just need a break from ministry or a break from serving or a break from loving my neighbors, it just it doesn't compute. It's not biblically. It's not biblically. It doesn't line up. When we burn out, it's a result of error in our theology or in our practice. Which means if we're feeling burned out, I would say, hint, hint, we haven't quite mastered the art of living. And so that's not a, that's not a word against burning out. That's a word of us understanding that like God has actually created us to be able to sustain life and to do the things that he's called us to do without feeling exhaustion. But hamster wheel theology leads in that sort of reality for us. Being in control of the will seems like it would be an easier way to live, 
And if you ever find yourself having hard times in life, what do we typically do? We think, oh, I need to work harder. I need to run harder. I need to push harder. This is what we practically do. This is what we spiritually do. This is our understanding of who God is. And it's embedded deeper than we think. I want us to think about whenever we make effort, and effort's not the enemy here, by the way, but whenever we make effort, like what our expectations are. I experience this a lot, but when we run hard for God, right, we expect him to reward us in some way, maybe by answering a prayer, maybe by making life easier. Or when we serve, we expect some sort of appreciation. How many times have you served someone and then it's bothered you when they didn't thank you? Or when we perform well, we expect some sort of return, right? So we performed well, things went really great. What if you didn't get any credit? What if no one said, well done? How does that make us feel? Or when you love someone, we often expect them to love us back the same way we love them. But what if the person that you love doesn't have the ability to give it back at that moment? You see, true empathy and compassion and servanthood isn't looking for a return on the investment. They're just looking to give, right? So this is where hamster wheel theology comes in because it's focused on our performance before the Lord rather than our position before him. Did you get that? Are you all with me? Are you all with me? Because I, I, I know that this is just like, you know, cut and dry, like this is the way we relate to the Lord. But I, I feel like this is so critical to our, to the way, again, our understanding of God and how we are to relate to him. Luke 10, there's a familiar and powerful story. These two competing theologies at work in the same moment. I've talked from this passage before, but it is so rich. I just want to read from it again. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. Everyone say what is better. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. So there's so many things we can pull from this amazing story, but one of, the plain th- one of the plain things staring us in the face is this, is that Martha is working that wheel. You know what I'm saying? She's working hard. She's running hard. She's comparing herself to her sister, is she not? And she's saying, look, I, I'm superior to what she's doing. And get this, she gets so frustrated by this that she lashes out at the Lord. Why am I working so hard and why don't you seem to care? ever experienced that feeling? Have you ever experienced that feeling where you get so frustrated, even with the Lord, that you would say, Lord, do you not see all that I'm doing? Do you even care? You see, this is when we're trying to be in control of things. She's running hard while Mary, her sister, is taking her role truly as clay, if you think about it. What did it say? Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. In this moment, she's clay in the hand of the potter. She's saying, I'm taking in what you, what you have to say, Lord. I'm receiving your instruction I'm, I'm in, and your encouragement and your truth. I want you to shape me, to mold me. This is what we can infer from Mary's posture. Because remember, it's not about performance, it's about the position. Think about the position she's in. 
at the feet of the Lord. Mary is living, Isaiah 64, 8, in this moment. We are the clay, you are the potter. And for the record, I was thinking about this when I was writing this, this does not mean that God doesn't value hard work or that this doesn't mean that he doesn't value organization. He doesn't even value what Martha was doing. No, that's not what this is about. There's plenty of stories in the Bible that reinforce those things. But this is a lesson about not missing the moment that you have to notice when you are in the presence of the Lord. It's a lesson about, not, or about allowing and letting God lead you. It's a lesson about being the clay. Because remember, it all begins as clay. In the book of Jeremiah, there's a prophetic word and a picture for us to even get deeper understanding. I'm just teaching the word today. Is that okay? I was like, do I need to tell a bunch of stories? And I said, nah. Deeper understanding of the potter and the relationship we have. Jeremiah 18, verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I'll give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. (laughs) I love that language. I saw him working at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. And this is really rich. There's a lot happening here, but this is a prophetic vision The potter is working the clay, and the clay is what? What is it? It's marred, right? It's broken. Remember, again, we're the clay. We are the art in this metaphor, and we are marred. We are broken. Our brokenness runs through us. Yes, that's our sin, but it's also our pain. It's our failures. It's what's happened to us. This is our brokenness. And what does the potter do with the broken, marred clay? He takes, he takes the marred clay, you see that where it says that? In his hands. He puts it in his hands. And in his loving hands, the creator starts to reform a new pot. He takes what is broken and he makes it new. He reshapes. He takes, an, he takes the old and starts over. It's like a fresh start. He does this over and over again in our life. Do you know that we have a father, we have a potter, we have a a creator who's the God of the second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance, the fifth chance, the infinite chance. Like he continues to take what's broken in us and continues to shape it. He continues to form it. And if you think about your life, that this is what he's doing every step of the way, every piece of brokenness, it's not, this isn't a one-time fix. This isn't like, oh, I need to get fixed. I need to get saved. I got it. Now I just have to deal with it. He is constantly fixing what's broken in your life. And this is what he does. He just continues to take it. And and notice what it says in verse 4, the very end. It says, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Shaping it as it seemed best. He has your best in mind. Even when he's having to do the difficult work of reshaping, it's for your best. He's remaking you. This is, this is exactly what he said to Martha, right? When Jesus said, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. The work of reshaping and, re- and continuing to take the brokenness in us, even when life feels disappointing and it feels like, oh man, I'm going to have to start over again with the Lord. He says, yes, I'm going to start over and I'm going to make it new. And I'm going to make it broken. No matter how disappointed you get, no matter how many times you feel like you get knocked down, like I'm going to keep picking up the pieces and I'm going to reshape something beautiful. And he says, and it's all for the purpose of something 
better. One more time for me today. Everyone say better. That's what God wants for you. The art of truly living begins in the hands of the potter, recognizing that you are marred and in need of his hands on your life. And I think a lot of us just have to be willing to allow him to do what he wants to do. We've been trying to do it on our own. And some of us, we don't even know we're trying to do it on our own, but you are. You're trying to work the wheel. The life your creator wants to shape is valuable, worthy, and important. And we have to stop looking for our value in what we do and how we compare to others and how hard we run. Your significance is not found in how you measure up. You have to know that it's found in who made you. Romans 8, 28, I'll close with this, 8, 28, and 29. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. Everyone say conformed. conformed. To the image of his son. So he wants to conform or reshape you into the image. You remember what it says in Genesis, that you are, you are created in the image of God. And he is reforming that image. He is conforming what's been marred. And I know that there's a lot of us in here that probably when it comes to life, you read a scripture like that, he's working all things together for the good, and you're thinking, that's not what my life always feels like. Frustration, hurt, some sort of confusion or dysfunction is going on in your life right now. I don't know about you, but I, I continue to reflect on, you know, this, this world that we're living in and kind of what we've been through and and even as I know we all want to move on from COVID, but I think about just how much the world has changed in the last year, in the last year and a half now. It's not only changed more than we think, it's changed how we think. It's changed how we think about ourselves. It's changed how we interact with people and connect with others. And I just want you to know that even in situations like that that feel impossible, God works all things together for the good of those he loves you, uh, loves him, and he is working for you and in you. And there's a, there's a story in Genesis chapter 50 where, where Joseph is talking to his brothers, and he said, hey, if you know the story of Joseph, his, his brothers tried to basically sell him into slavery, tried to get rid of him. They did as terrible things to him. And this is what he says to them. He says, I know you meant harm. I, mean, I know you meant to harm me, but God used it for good to accomplish what is now being done. How many know that the enemy, whatever he does, that God wants to take whatever he meant for evil and turn it in for good? And when I think about this last year, I'm like, God, I'm just asking you to do that. Will you take whatever it is that's broken right now and will you, will you conform it into the image of Christ? Will you can take my life and actually remake it, make it new, make it into something beautiful. Father, I want to be your art. I want to be your masterpiece, but I can't do it on my own. I can only do it when I surrender to your work, when I let you be the one working the wheel, where I become moldable and shapeable, and I'm no longer trying to run the wheel myself. Do you understand how this is now coming together? That there, it's the word that he gave to Jeremiah, hey, go down to the potter's house and see him at work. This is what he's saying to us. Would you allow God to work on you and in you? 
He says, I will take the things that have happened this last year and I will, whatever the enemy meant for evil, I'll turn it for good. He says, I'll take the things that have happened to you years ago and what the enemy meant for evil, I'll turn for good. He wants to take what's marred and turn it into something better. He wants to take, he wants to take the ashtray, your ashtray, and turn it into something better. It says in Isaiah 61 that he wants to exchange and give you beauty for ashes. You understand that? Like it also says in, in Isaiah 61, he wants to take your mourning and turn it into dancing. He says, I want to take your spirit of despair and I want to reshape, I want to reform it, I want to recreate it and to turn it into a garment of praise. This is the work that he wants to do in each and every one of us. He wants to take that anger that you walk with every day that you are like, why do I feel this way? He wants to take that, he wants to break it and he wants to reshape it and reform it into joy. He wants to take that depression that you walk in where you feel like, I just don't know if I can go another day. And he wants to take it. He wants to reshape it. He wants to take that marred brokenness in you. And he wants to say, you know what? I'm going to breathe life into you. He says, I'm going to breathe life into you. You want to take away that depression in order to become a voice, an instrument of praise. This is what he's saying. No more spirit of despair, but one of garment of praise. Does this happen overnight? No, it is a shaping. It's a molding. It's a process. But it happens when we surrender, when we get off the wheel ourselves and we surrender to his wheel. Are you with me? It's when you surrender to his hands in your life, him working in your life, that some things start to change. And if we want to be a person that understands what it means to have the art of living, to understand what it means to, to live into the life he's called us to, it will never be found in your own efforts. It will never be found in your own ambitions. It's only found in surrender to our Heavenly Father, the Creator, where we allow Him to be the Creator and we become the art. We become the beauty. We become the object of His affection. So I want to encourage you over these next few moments as we sing. Stephen's going to sing a song over us today. It's a new song. and I just want to allow this moment to be a moment of response for you. Maybe during the song, I would encourage you to say something like, God, I just, I want to be the clay. I want to be in your hands. And maybe this is just a moment where you can do that on your own. Maybe just, maybe you're going to want to stand and sing and worship. Maybe you're going to want to sit and soak. Maybe you're going to want to listen to the lyric. Maybe you're going to want to come forward and pray at the altar. Maybe you're going to want to pray with the person. The idea that I want to just really portray to you is that you shouldn't leave here without some form of response. This is the word of God. It's not Tim. Like the word of God came forth. And how are you going to respond to it? Maybe it's just to say, God, I thank you. I thank you that you shaped my life. But I would encourage you, take this moment and respond to the Lord. Because he is the God of the second, third, fourth, and infinite chance. So I'm going to pray and then there'll be a time of response. Father, we pray that as we sit in this moment, that, Lord, it's all about you and the work you want to do in our life. God, thank you for how good you are, that you take what's broken and you make it new, that you love us with intention and purpose, that you set us apart for a special work, that, Lord, every one of us are unique in our design. Father, we don't want to be the ones taking your seat in our life. We surrender that seat to you. 
we let you take the lead. We thank you and we love you. So during this time, again, free to worship, free to stand, free to sit, free to pray, free to kneel. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.